0: And all are to follow that great example of our Lord Jesus, verse 21, in his submission to the cross. And now it is the turn of wives, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And then, verse 7, it is the turn of husbands. You'll notice how chapter 3, verse 1, begins with likewise, in the same manner, in the same way. And you'll notice verse 7 in the word to husbands, also begins with the word likewise. So it is the same theme, and it is all about this submission. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. Thank you for joining with us here on the program today. We're turning to 1 Peter again, chapter 3, and we'll be looking at the winning wife, Peter's advice to those wives whose husbands are not yet Christians, and how the wife is to act, respond, and present the gospel. We also have a hymn, Be Not Discouraged, and we also begin with, Because God Keeps His Promises. The question we've been asking now for these many weeks is, why become a Christian? And we want to give good, godly, biblical reasons. Become a Christian because God keeps His promises. Man's salvation comes down to trust. We are called on to believe in the Lord Jesus as our Saviour and to believe upon him. Christians are called believers. We are to believe that God will perform the task of delivering our souls from the paths of destruction. We are to believe all that God has revealed about himself and about his plan of redemption. The only basis on which we can believe the gospel, that is, the heart of Christianity, is the veracity of God. He is truth. God is cannot lie. It is impossible for God to deceive or to be involved in some form of deception. That is totally contrary to the essential nature of one who is perfect. God's record of keeping his promises is also staggering. When you think of his promises to Abraham, that he would give him a land and then a son to form a new nation, he promised to be his guide through life, He promised Moses that he would be with him as he stood before Pharaoh. He gave him a message of warning and fulfilled each one of the ten plagues. Then in the Exodus through the Red Sea, God fulfilled his promise to deliver the people of Israel from Pharaoh and from drowning. That was fulfilled when the Israelites were saved to a man. Each woman, child, were delivered while the Egyptians were left floating with their horses and chariots in the waters that enclosed in on them. God promised manna, and he gave it six days a week for forty years. God promised a land of milk and honey, and he gave them Canaan. He promised that he would drive out the heathen, and he did it, even with hailstones, scorpions, and bees. In many cases, as in Jericho, when the walls fell down exposing the enemy, God fought for Israel. Then we think of all the promises of a Messiah, a Savior that would come and save his people. The Old Testament is constantly pointing to the time when the Christ child would be born. Details of his birthplace, his tribe, his poverty, his dwelling at Nazareth, his ministry, his miracles, his death and resurrection were all promised and absolutely fulfilled. Pentecost was promised. The worldwide missionary enterprise was promised. The Lord said that he would not return the second time until this gospel is preached in all the world. While he came the first time in humility and to shame to save of his people as the servant of the Father, so he will certainly come the second time, but this time in power and in glory. He will come to judge the wicked, and usher the Christian into heaven. He promised in John 14, verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and receive you unto myself, that where I am, There ye may be also. It is on the promises of the Lord found written in the Bible that we believe the gospel and trust in the Lord for salvation. We know that the God who cannot lie will fulfill every one of his promises. Every word of the Lord is good. You can take God's word straight to the bank, for it is the bank of heaven filled with eternal assurances. It is our responsibility to take the promises of the Lord by prayer and have them fulfilled. We are to believe the promises of God and enjoy the gift of eternal life. The Lord promised, I give unto my sheep eternal life, and none shall perish. To believe this promise, we must come and ask God to give us that gift of eternal life in our own souls. We must take God at his word when the Philippian jailer went to the Apostle Paul and Silas asking, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They instructed him, saying, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. That is a promise. Why become a Christian? Because God keeps his promises. I heard a story of a boy who went with his mother to a gospel meeting, and there the word of God was preached, the way of salvation was explained, and And both mother and boy prayed and sought the Lord with all their hearts. They confessed Christ and pleaded for forgiveness of sin. The next day, the mother sent his boy off to school as usual. And through the day, the mother was plagued with doubts. Am I really saved? Can this be true? And how can I be sure? And she was rather downcast, puzzled and perplexed. When her son returned home, he was happy and rejoicing, and he said, Mom, isn't it great to be a Christian? And the mother said, Yes, I guess so. And the little boy, noticing his mother's trouble, went away upstairs and found his Bible. And he came down a little later and he said, Mom, Mom, it's still there, it's still there. And the mother asked, What's there? And he said, The promise, it's still there. And of course, the promise was what he prayed over the night before, that if we confess our sins, the Lord is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And how this is the very basis of every Christian's assurance. The promise is still there, and the God who cannot lie has given us these absolute promises in his word. Be sure to believe the book and trust the Lord today. Coming to First Peter and to the third chapter. As I mentioned this morning, the sermon title is The Winning Wife. The Winning Wife. The wife who wins her husband and who wins the prize of the Lord's blessing. And Peter delves right into this in chapter 3. Her winning stroke is submission. By this means, she wins all. By carnal promotion, she would lose all. But by this biblical gospel submission, she becomes a winner. Now, one famous Bible teacher of older days stated that it is the submissive wife who generally gets most of her way. Do you believe that tonight? Well, that's certainly what Peter is teaching us in these verses. John Brown, another Bible teacher, Scottish theologian, he said that the gospel is like the shining of the sun. It shines upon the palace and it shines upon the cottage. It shines upon the rich man and the poor man. Well, the Bible is like that. And tonight... It shines upon wives, and I trust there will be a ray of sunshine for your heart and your soul as we come to this very passage. The subject of submission began way back in chapter 2 in verse 13. You'll notice the word submit, and it began with civil government, the king, verse 17, servants to masters, in verse 18. And all are to follow that great example of our Lord Jesus, verse 21, in his submission to the cross. And now it is the turn of wives, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And then, verse 7, it is the turn of husbands. You'll notice how chapter 3, verse 1, begins with likewise, in the same manner, in the same way. And you'll notice verse 7 in the word to husbands, also begins with the word likewise. So it is the same theme, and it is all about this submission. I want you to note tonight that Christianity has elevated women in history. Heathenism degrades womanhood. Think of the women's shelters tonight in our city, where women are living in fear, fear of returning home, The domestic violence is too much, and they cannot face husbands uh, that are brutal and the horror of such a home. And that is rich and poor again. Uh, There are many wealthy homes where wives live in awful fear. But the Bible and the gospel has always elevated Christian women. Another thing to note in this passage is that the marriage bond supersedes religion. The issue that Peter is addressing here is women who become Christian, but their husbands are not. They, by the grace of God, have come to know the Savior and the joy of this great salvation, but their husbands have absolutely no interest. They are either apathetic or opposed, and as yet have not come to faith in the Lord Jesus. Now, that new relationship with Christ in no ways dissembles the relationship of man and wife. Rather, it enhances it. And the call of the gospel is for Christian wives to be extra diligent that they serve, minister, and strengthen the bonds of their marriage. Now, that is very, very important in this day of high rates of divorce and separation. We understand, of course, that these women came to Christ after marriage. And while their husbands remain unbelievers, these women become trophies of grace. And they're called to live out the gospel and to shine for the Lord Jesus in very difficult circumstances, with men who perhaps are totally undeserving, men who are antagonistic to the name of Jesus, and who perhaps are anything but kind and gracious. Another thing uh, which in our society we have to note is that each wife here had her own husband. Uh, There was one with one, a couple, a pair. It's a tragedy that in our society that has to be defined and clarified from the bible God's will is one woman, one man, married according to the very role of Adam and Eve, our first parents. That's God's design. And it's a sad reflection in our society uh, when we have to guard very diligently that biblical model. Pagan society, even uncivilized, unreached societies with the gospel— Very often have had an underlying respect for marriage. It's one of the great mysteries of discovering new civilizations, people that have never had contact with the outside world, yet within their culture there will be this understanding of marriage. But our postmodern culture turns even from that and turns away from God. And so the submissive wife is to be a winner. And the winning wife is in view here, and she wins now and she wins in eternity. And of course, the winning stroke is her submission. Now in the world, this seems upside down. What do you ever win by submission in this world? Well, the world would say nothing. But in God's way, in the gospel way, in the example that our Lord Jesus has given, the way to win is by this godly submission. Now, as we look at these six verses tonight, and this submission of the godly wife, there are three main points I want to give you. Firstly, the goal of submission. Then there is the graces of submission. And thirdly, we will look at the genius of submission. The goal, of course, here is to win your husband to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, You'll notice uh, in this very passage that they also, without the word, be one. That means they be converted. They be brought to Christ. They be one by the conversation. That's the lifestyle, the godly living of each wife. And obviously here, these men will not listen to the word. Uh, They maybe won't even come to church. They won't even read the Bible. Uh, They won't acknowledge that Jesus is the true Son of God. Maybe they're agnostic and shrug their shoulders to everything and don't want to even answer the question if there is a God. Maybe they're outright atheistic and deny that there is a God. They won't listen. They're stubborn. They're uh, resistant to the word of truth. The goal now is that that godly Christian wife Will endeavor by her conversation or her lifestyle, that's the word conversation means here, her life, her daily living, uh, to win and to be a living witness to her husband. Now the nature of grace at work in your soul has changed you and has made you to be a better wife. You're more agreeable, more content, more willing, more ready to please. And that has become your mission. And your husband, whether he's a Christian or not, has to acknowledge that the gospel has made you a better person, a sweeter person, a more lovable person, a more consistent person, a truthful person, a loyal person. And therefore, you're preaching to him by your life. The things you do, the things you don't do, the places you go, the places you don't go, But above all, your submission, your willingness and readiness to please and serve your husband. And when you do have an opportunity to speak, when perhaps he asks you a question, now what does God have to say about that? Well, your words now, they count. They have impact. They're full of meaning because he has to admit That your faith in the Lord Jesus, your fellowship with Christ, you becoming a Christian, has made you a different woman, a better woman, a much better woman. And so Christianity does not crush nor curtail you, rather it frees you to be a missionary in your own home. I want you to go back to verse, chapter 2, verse 16. I want you to notice a little statement. It says, as free, and not using your liberty as for a cloak of maliciousness. The gospel sets you free. Sets you free from the devil. Sets you free from the guilt of sin. Sets you free from the awful guilt of conscience. Sets you free to have fellowship with God. Sets you free to overcome bad habits. And to be a new person. Sets you free. Now, this freedom is now your power and your witness. doesn't set you free from your husband. It doesn't dissolve the marriage. It doesn't change the fact that you have to live with a man who is not interested in your Savior. And all the tensions that that brings and all the, perhaps the strife that that may bring. But now as free, you're free to make Christ your example. And that was the great issue when you go to chapter 221, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. And we spent some time looking at that whole matter of Christ in his sufferings, in his submission to the cross, in his voluntary, vicarious death, sacrifice, suffering not for himself, not for his own faults, but for ours. Now we're free to engage in following that example. That's what this liberty does for us. Now, you can call this relationship evangelism. I have no problem with that. There is another kind of relationship evangelism I'm not so sure about. And that is where a young Christian guy or girl, they go out and look for an ungodly man or woman, and they date with the idea of being a Christian witness. That's not biblical. That's very dangerous. But The very fact that you're now married and living day and night with this woman... Miss Mann, you're a living witness, a Christian in the home. The closest relationship that God has ever ordained, and now you're to live it before your unsaved home. Now, in our day and generation, there are many, many women who live in this situation. As I think of our Victoria Church, Prince George Church, Calgary Church there are a number of women who live in this category, facing the challenge day by day by day of submitting to an unsaved, unchristian, unconverted man who has absolutely no interest or no desire for Christ. And you'll notice verse 2. It says, While they behold... They can't help but see this witness before them. They live with you day and night. The things that you watch on television, he notices. The things that you read, he notices. The things that you get excited about, the things that you want to put away, be done with. And so it is a very, very, it's like living under the microscope. It's living under pressure. It's living in a fishbowl. Of course, the loving, submissive wife doesn't want to run from this, but does want to make the best possible use of her testimony for the Lord. And your Christianity makes your commitment to your marriage all the stronger. You love your husband all the more. And you do so not just because of that vow you made to your husband, but in the fear of God. Your vow of marriage now, it's all the more in the fear of God. And you are called to honor and be faithful to that to the very end. You may have married for companionship, but now you minister to a man's soul, not just to his body, but his soul. And that is a much greater mission. And so the goal is to see your husband saved, to see your husband converted. And you are called here, likewise ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. It is now your mission. And you're going to need a lot of grace, a lot of prayer. There will be disappointments, and there will be times when you wonder, can you go on? But it is your mission in the providence of God that you cannot run from. Now, secondly, I see in this chapter the graces of submission. Not only the goal, but the graces that are given. The first grace is unquestioning fidelity. Verse 1. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. Your own husbands. There is unquestioning fidelity. There are areas of temptation that when one partner is not a Christian, not saved... But too often, you go your separate ways. He goes the way of worldly things, and you go the way of God's people, God's church, prayer meeting, church services. And that it seems that you're going on two different paths. You mingle with Christian friends, and you're expected at the same time to entertain your unseaved husband's ungodly friends. You're to act as his wife, and this is a balancing act it takes great wisdom you're never to feel as a wife should act you should be by your husband's side as much as possible you should go on vacation together go on outings together visiting family friends together you have a role to fill in this scenario this call to be in subjection to your own husband. You can't opt out of all the areas that involves submitting to your husband. And above all, above all, never create a situation where your husband has to question your behavior or company, especially your loyalty to him as his wife. So that's unquestioning fidelity, verse 1. Then verse 2, you have Christian purity. The key word here is chaste. While they behold your chaste conversation. Conversation, again, is lifestyle. It is your way of life. And it's done so coupled with fear. That's not fear of your husband here. It's the fear of God. I think we can establish that from going back to chapter 2, 17, 18, Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God. And so uh, the chaste conversation is coupled with a fear of God. There is nothing about her ways that seeks to attract other men. Her dress, her countenance, her behavior— to ward off every other interest. And she will not advertise discontent with her own husband. Let me tell you, that has opened up an area of wrong relationships many, many times. Like, I I need a, a shoulder to cry on. And in a wife's bitter complaint of her husband, she ends up pouring out her heart to some other man. And thereby, that whole chast conversation is blown. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher, and I really appreciate you taking the time to join with us. Now, tomorrow we'll continue this whole subject of modesty, and I'll be looking at six points that a Christian woman should avoid. If she wants to dress godly, Advertising herself as faithful to her husband, faithful to the Lord, and enjoying the walk as a Christian, as a wife, and as one glorifying the Lord day by day. So make sure you join with us tomorrow as we continue this message here on Let the Bible Speak. Now, at the close of the program, we'll give you all the details of our uh, website, phone number, and so on. Website is www uh, C A. Thank you all for joining with us here on the program today. I hope that you will stay with us for the final announcements and that we will hear from you. Look forward to knowing just that you're tuning in, benefiting from these programs, and we do appreciate every call, every letter, email, and of course we invite you to our church, so stay tuned for these announcements.
1: You can contact us using our office number, which is 604 576 1091. Alternatively, you can email me at pastor.cloverdealfpc at gmail.com. Again, for all this information, please go to our website at cloverdealfpc.ca. Our burden is that you will hear and understand the gospel.